It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law. Featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello and welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu, an attorney at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to malkbaker.com. That's M A U C K B A K E R.com or call 312 726 1243. New generations are growing up much differently than those in the past. How can we effectively share the gospel with today's youth? Today, we will be speaking with Jay Warner Wallace a Dateline-featured cold-case homicide detective who became a Christ follower at the age of 35 after using his skills to investigate the claims of the Gospels. This experience led him to write the best-selling book, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. More recently, he co-wrote, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World, which shows us how to share biblical truth with a generation that desperately needs to hear it and in a way that draws them in instead of pushing them away. Jim, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Jim, you have a very interesting background. Uh, For those who haven't read your book, Cold Case Christianity, uh, how exactly did you come to Christ by investigating the claims of the New Testament Gospels? Well, I just wasn't raised in an environment where I had uh, kind of a traditional path in. Some of us are raised in the church. We have parents who are Christians, or maybe we have uh, we kind of meet friends in high school and, and we go to youth groups and become Christians. I just didn't have any of that. I uh, didn't have any Christians in my family. And um, so as I got older and uh, started to work in law enforcement, uh, the only Christians I actually knew were a couple on our agency who uh, were committed Christians, but if you asked them the kind of difficult questions you might ask as a skeptic, especially if you're kind of an antagonistic skeptic, um, they just didn't have great great answers. Um, as a matter of fact, sometimes they had no answer at all uh, to some of the common objections that I might offer. And then the other group of Christians that I knew uh, repeatedly were the people who would tell us that they were Christians, even as we were taking them to jail. So, so I just didn't have any sense that this was a reasonable... Um, view to hold, and I didn't really, uh, you know, to me it was so unreasonable, it wasn't almost, it wasn't worth mocking, you know, it's like, you, no one spends a lot of time mocking, you know, um, you know, uh, the Easter Bunny, or things that you just know don't exist, what's the point in even, you know, no one's going to make a case against the Easter Bunny, so I think there are, are some, some, that was a period of time in my life, I was about 35, when I first entered into a church that um, my wife wanted to attend, and she was much more open. I think she's always been a believer in God, and, and she was just kind of quiet in my presence because we were together for about 18 years before she finally convinced me to uh, to go to a local church here that uh, was a pastor who was able to pitch Jesus in a very uh, thoughtful way as a wise, ancient sage, among, of course, a lot of other things he said about Jesus, but, but that was the part that intrigued me to, to go out and buy a Bible, just to see what the New Testament uh, had to say about the wisdom teaching of Jesus. You know, there's, there's something you can gain even from fiction, if, if it's a fiction that includes wisdom. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and buy a Bible and see what this Jesus of Nazareth had to say. I bought a pew Bible, you know, I just wanted to buy the cheapest Bible on the shelf, and that was what I found, and 
I opened it up and started reading it, and as I was reading through the New Testament, uh, I was struck by the um, nature of the Gospels, even more so than the nature of Jesus. The nature of the text that describes Jesus, because it, it clearly is written by people. It's not just a collection of wisdom statements. You know, I, I kind of thought that might be the case. This is not unusual. You know, proverbial statements of the Baha'u'llah and the Baha'i faith. Uh, it wasn't written that way. It was written as though you wanted me to believe this stuff actually happened. The, the person who wrote this is, is, is trying to convince me that they are chronicling something true over a period of time involving the life and ministry of Jesus. And that was a skill set that I, um, you know, I, I, I constantly am dealing with eyewitnesses who make claims. You know, most of my career has been spent working cold cases, which are just unsolved murders. And when you work on unsolved murders, you're working a case that involves an event that occurred in the past. Uh, it's unsolved for a reason. Probably does not involve any uh, eyewitnesses because if we had eyewitnesses back then, it would have got solved back then. So it's it's open, and you have to use a skill set, even though you might not have contact anymore with those witnesses. They may have died 30 years ago. I often have cases where I don't even have a way to interview the person who did the interview because he's no longer available to me. So now I'm trying to figure out what happened 35 years ago, even though I have documents, but I have no access to those witnesses anymore, and I have no access to those interviewers anymore. Well, that's really what we have in the Gospels, right? We have this event that occurred 2,000 years ago. We have no access to the witnesses, no access to the interviewers. But that doesn't mean we can't um, make a case for whether or not this is reliable. And that's what I, I did over the next, say, six months or so, is just kind of poured in, to studying the first century uh, in the area around where Jesus uh, had his ministry and studying the nature of these eyewitness accounts and working back and forth from account to account to determine if the accounts were reliable. And that's really how I became a Christian. That's amazing. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu of the law firm of Malkin Baker. If you missed part of this episode or want to hear previous Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit malkbaker.com. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today we've been speaking with uh, J. Warner Wallace, cold case homicide detective and author uh, about sharing biblical truth with a new generation. And uh, Jim, that is what your new project is about. Uh, your new book is titled, So the Next Generation Will Know. Uh, tell us more about your most recent project and why it's uh, relevant for us today. Well, you know, as I became a Christian and, and started, you know, my kids were young still. They were uh, elementary school age. And so if you have kids that age and they've never been to church, we hadn't been to church as a family, uh, we were in a big church that separated out the different age groups. And so you could drop your kids off and then you would go to the big church that you did for adults and your kids would be in whatever ministry that was related to their age group. And that's not too uncommon in the church. And, and sure enough, you know, my kids were, at least at first, not quite sure they wanted to be separated from us. They would rather have gone to the big church with us and just sat quietly but we thought we should bring them to the children's ministry. And as we did that, it wasn't long before we ended up sitting in with them once in a while to, to get them comfortable before we would leave. And then, of course, if you see a parent sitting in your ministry for any amount of time, you're likely to ask that person to serve. And so here we were, really not knowing much about Christianity at all, and asked to kind of lead, uh, you know, to assist, to, to get involved in children's ministry. Well, you know, they had a curriculum, so we just started off 
working with the curriculum. And ultimately, over a period of time, we decided we would serve more diligently. So we ended up leading classes. And as I kind of grew as a believer, I eventually attended a seminary, and then I became the uh, children's upper elementary leader in that church, and then ultimately the youth pastor. And years later, when I graduated with a seminary degree, I was my kid's high school youth pastor. By that time, they were high school age. So we learned some things working in high school ministry. Number one, that that group is uh, in need of direction, and they are the future of the church. And if you said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older now, I don't have any kids, or my kids are all grown, but I do care about the future of the church, well, that, that's going to happen in the lives of young Christians. And so there, I, I realized the importance, and, and also I, I kind of made enough train wreck experiences as a youth pastor to know that this is really the most important generation the church has it is a huge demographic. That group called Gen Z, those are folks that if you've got high schoolers or elementary school age, they would fall into that generation that follows the millennials that are being termed Gen Z, or sometimes you'll hear them be called iGen or the selfie generation or whatever you want to call them. But, but that group uh, has faced, it faces unique struggles, unique situation based on technology. Uh, and that is something that we saw. And that group uh, is the is huge. It is it will outpace uh, and outsize boomers, and every other demographic from Gen X to millennials uh, in about the next four or five years, globally and nationally. So we are experiencing a baby boom right now, and it's Gen Zers who, uh, for the most part, would identify themselves as the least religious amongst us. And as we see, kind of Christianity, at least cultural Christianity, I don't think this is actually happening with the core of the church, but I think those who may have identified with Christianity for the sake of convenience, or because it was popular, or because it will serve a purpose, that group is shrinking. And, and certainly young Christians, uh, even who, those who are raised in the church, I'm sure if someone's listening to this program, they know somebody, anecdotally, in their life, that has walked away from the church, either in their late high school years or in their college years. All of us know someone like that. And this is what our focus is now, is to talk about what needs to be done specifically and uniquely for this generation. Because we have a tendency to think, well, heck, I was 15 at one time. Well, this, this group of 15-year-olds was different than you. It's different because they face a technological shift in culture that is unprecedented. And that technological shift will reshape the way we communicate the Christian worldview to them. And so for us, it's about trying to figure out how do we contextualize this? How do we take advantage of the technology? What has to change for those of us who are parents, youth pastors, or Christian educators to help them see how to move forward, to help them to embrace the Christian worldview. That's what we try to do with this book, and it's a very practical book. It's not a what-does-Christianity-teach book. We've written a bunch of those. I've written now, I think, six different books that talk about what is true. This is a how-to book. How do I take what is true and communicate it to my own kids? That's what we're trying to do with this book. That's great, Jim. And I do want to get into some of the specifics of the book. Uh, we have a, a less than a minute or so in, in this segment, so we're going to have to uh, get to that in the next segment. Um, but if you could, in the next uh, 30 or 40 seconds, is there a role, specific role for parents and churches uh, in training up uh, Gen Zs going forward? 
Yeah, there absolutely is. Remember, we have a tendency to want to dispatch this to somebody else, you know, assign this to your youth pastor. But the most important Christian apologist that your kids will ever know is not a book they're going to be handed to. You know, you're not going to hand them a book. It's not a video you're going to point them to. It's you as the parent. You have to become that authority in their lives. And that's why we wrote a book like this, to kind of help parents take on the role that they have been assigned by God. Great. Coming up, we will talk further with Jim Warner-Wallace about how to effectively reach the next generation with the gospel. I'm Soren Lehu, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. In the wide, confusing world of law and lawyers, it's tough to find someone you can trust that shares your Christian values for legal advice and representation. You can trust Mauk and Baker, a Christian law firm based in Chicago that serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals with their legal matters. They seek to represent clients like you with integrity and care by using biblical principles as the foundation of their work. Additionally, their monthly newsletter highlights what's current in the religious liberty arena, keeping you informed on your right to worship, whether that's on the street, in public school, or within the walls of your church. Subscribe to their newsletter at maukbaker.com slash newsletter. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R dot com slash newsletter. If you have a legal need or question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact Mauk and Baker at 312-726-1243. Call and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. That's 312-726-1243. 43. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu, an attorney at Malkin Baker, a law firm based in Chicago which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of the show and want to listen online, go to malkbaker.com forward slash radio. Today we've been speaking with Jay Warner Wallace, cold case detective and author about sharing biblical truth with a new generation. And Jim, we started talking about uh, Gen Zs, and you've been on the front lines of this. Uh, Based on your experience, uh, what would you say are some of the uh, characteristics of Gen Z? Yeah, I think it's important to know. And by the way, if, if you don't feel like you are known, by other people, then you, you, you miss the most important key ingredient we talk about when communicating truth, which is relationship, right? Truths are most influence, most influential, rather, when they're communicated in the context of relationship. But if I don't think you even know anything about me or understand where I'm coming from, there's a good chance I won't feel known and I won't feel loved enough to have a relation, deep relationship with you. I mean, you haven't earned the equity in which to even share anything about God anyway. So I think it is important for us to understand what the attributes are. We wrote an entire chapter just giving you nine or ten of the attributes that I think are game changers when dealing with Gen Z. But let me just give you one you may not have thought about, even though it's been very well documented, and that is that this is the first generation that are digital natives. The rest of us, we are digital immigrants. We came to this kind of technology, the smartphone technology, uh, after the fact. It wasn't around when we were kids. But this group has been raised with this technology in their hands. Now, I want you to think, although that, you know, okay, duh, what does that mean? Well, it it means, I think think it poses a challenge for us uh, when communing in the Christian world that we have to be aware of, and here's what it is. We are now in a generation that has the ability to, to, to tailor and to custom select anything it wants. This is the generation of choice. They've got choices, an almost infinite barrage of choices online. 
uh, in which he's, they, they've got the ability to, to uh, custom tailor their media consumption because of the digital technology. So, for example, if I wanted to watch a show 35 years ago, I had to catch it when it was first run on one of the three major networks because that's all there was. That show, if I missed it, I had to wait six months and try to catch it in a rerun. No one watches TV that way anymore. A, a new series comes out, a new, a new uh, season of, say, Stranger Things comes out, and the entire season is delivered simultaneously so you can watch it at your own pace whenever you want. We are in an on-demand world with thousands and thousands of choices. What this does for young people is it elevates their sense of control, choice, and autonomy. They can craft a world that just reflects their own interests. Uh, you can pick t uh, media sources that reflect your interests. You can pick news outlets that reflect your interests. We all do this, by the way. So we create these little micro-environments that are just custom-tailored to the things we like. And in other words, everything becomes a matter of subjective, personal opinion and choice. Now, enter the Christian worldview, which is not a micro-narrative, based on subjective opinions and choices. It's a meta-narrative based on an objective claim about the nature of God. I think that kind of claim is a much more difficult claim to communicate in a world that has been changed by the digital technology in a direction that just seems diametrically opposed to what would be required to embrace a meta-narrative like Christianity. It means that we are going to have to spend some time with our kids describing the difference between subjective truth claims and objective truth claims if we expect them to even understand what the kind of what, what the tr Christian truth claim is all about. So I think what we talk about in the book is just how to engage practically in that discussion, right? Now it sounds very kind of philosophically, you know, but let me give you another characteristic of Gen Z that I think is even more uh, obvious and it can be even more approachable and that is this. Given all the choices that are out there, this does not increase the trust of people. It actually increases the distrust. There are so many options out there. It's now hard to decide who you can trust in a noisy world in which they're all, and kids see this from the time they engage that world online. So this is why it's so critical for us now as parents to engage our kids in a deep relationship in which we grow trust. Remember, it's relationship married to truth claims. Now, here's the problem. Uh, a lot of kids don't think we have answers for their critical questions about Christianity. We might have a good relationship with them, especially when they're younger, right? But they don't see us as authoritative when it comes down to, well, listen, you know, if, if, if everything that exists has a creator, who created God? If God created everything else, who created God? Simple question that kids ask, right? If there's a God who's all-loving and all-powerful, why doesn't he stop evil in the world? Is he not powerful enough to stop it? Then he's not all-powerful. He doesn't care to stop it? Then he's not all-loving. How can there be so much misery in the world, injustice in the world, if there's a God like this? Now, if we aren't prepared as authorities to be able to answer those questions reasonably, they will search for those questions online with people with whom they have no relationship. We have an advantage. We have a relationship. But do we know enough about the question and the answer to be authoritative? So it is a matter of us taking advantage of the things we do have with our kids, which are our relationships. And what we try to do in this book is we know there are three groups who are going to interact with young people. Uh, parents, youth pastors and leaders and ministers, and Christian educators. Those three groups, we have a sidebar in every chapter for each of those three groups. So if you're reading as a youth pastor, here are some practical things you can do uh, today to change the way your conversations are uh, happening. If you're a, a pastor, uh, if you're a parent rather, or a Christian educator, we've got options for you. 
And again, what we try to do in this book too, Song, is to make sure that we don't overwhelm people. Number one, I don't want a book that scolds me for what I haven't been doing. And I don't want a book that overwhelms me with 50 things I got to add to my life. What we are suggesting here are ways to tweak what you already do to have, to have more meaningful uh, Christian worldview conversations that will actually keep your kids in the faith. You're going to spend time with your kids. The question is, how are you spending it? You know, uh, what, what, what is the nature of those conversations? How are you leveraging opportunities that are already there? Don't have to add any opportunities. You're already going to be driving home from the movie. You're already driving them to school, listening to the radio. You're already watching some of these TV shows with them. You're already having dinner with these folks. Why not have these kinds of conversations that can change the trajectory of your own kids? That's what we're trying to do in this book. That's great. You're listening to Warriors for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu of Malkin Baker. If you missed part of this episode or want to hear previous Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit malkbaker.com. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today we've been speaking with uh, Jay Warner Wallace, cold case detective and author, about his book, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. Uh, Jim, I wonder if, um, don't want to give the whole book away, but if you can share just a couple of the practical things um, educators parents, uh, youth pastors could do, can do, should do uh, to uh, overcome these challenges that are uh, unique to Gen Zers? Absolutely. I'm going to give you one simple uh, format, one simple tip that I think will change every conversation you have with your kids. And I, we call this two whys for every what. And here's what this basically means. We are inclined as parents and as educators and as pastors to, to, to tell our kids what is true. You know, what is true about God? What is true about the Bible? What is true about Jesus? What, 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 what? This can develop a certain amount of apathy in our kids, number one, but it also does not ignite passion, ignite interest, and accomplish what we really need to accomplish with Gen Z. So we say it's for every what you are inclined to describe to your kids, also include the two whys. The first why is, well, why is that true? If you believe in the triune nature of God, and you think this is important enough to describe to your kids, or you believe Jesus is God and you want to make that claim to your kids, well then, well, on the basis of what evidence do you think that's true? Because believe it or not, our kids are hearing from the secular world that their truth claims are, gr are grounded in, in science and grounded in evidence, and all of your truth claims as a Christian are just basically wishful thinking. We need to be able to show our kids that there are good evidential reasons to believe in the existence of God, to believe in the reliability of Scripture, to believe in the, the, the existence of Jesus of Nazareth and the deity of Jesus of Nazareth. These are things we can actually demonstrate. That first why, and by the way, most of the objections or most of the questions that kids have are in that first why. Well, why? Why is that true? And so we need to be able to answer the why question. As a matter of fact, don't offer the what unless you're willing to also offer the why. Well, I don't know what the why is, Jim. I'm not quite sure, quite sure what I would say. Well, then that's where the work needs to be done. And that's okay. I mean, you don't have to be a mile ahead of your kids. You don't have to be a Ph.D. expert in the history of Jesus in order to offer a good answer. You just need to be a couple of feet ahead of your kids. Because remember, if you're too far ahead of your kids, when you take a turn, they're not going to see you turn. You're too far ahead. You want to stay pretty close to your kids. So you can get a couple of feet ahead of your kids on these issues if you just take a little bit of time to think about it. The second why, though, is maybe even more important, and that is that even if you told me this is true, I need to know why this matters to me. Why should I care? Okay, you can give me a claim and you've made a case for why it's true evidentially. Great. Why should I care about this? How does it apply to my life? How would my life be different tomorrow if I actually embraced this claim? 
And that second why is the why that ignites passion because it makes it relevant to our kids. So now when I have a conversation with young people, I try to make sure that I'm going to make the claim about what's true, but I'm also going to defend it evidentially, and then I'm going to apply it to their lives so they can see how this claim changes everything. That's great. So it's the two whys for every what? Is that? That's right. Two that whys for every what. That will change your conversations, believe me. That's great. Jim, thank you for speaking with us today. How can people learn more about your books and get some of your resources? Well, you can find me at coldcasechristianity.com. That's the name of our ministry, coldcasechristianity.com. And also you'll see a link there to our academy for 8 to 12-year-olds. We've got kids' books that will help you teach your kids' Christian worldview. That's at casemakersacademy.com. Thank you, Jim. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. That's 312-726-1243 or at malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Visit our website to subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter with legal updates or call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. Thanks for listening. I'm Soren Lehu, attorney at Malkin Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.